are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. is such a significant part of our lives. It's important to us because God deserves our praise and our worship. And so we come for that reason. It's also a time where God extends grace to us and He helps us to kind of recenter our lives. So just imagine with me right in front of me, here's the center, okay? And I think the question that we're always asking ourselves is this. Am I turned toward the center? Right now, with my whole life, am I turned toward Christ? So you might say, Rick, I can tell you there's been seasons in my life where I haven't been turned toward the center. A lot going on, distractions, other loves in my life. And I wasn't always turned toward the center. If this is the center, probably my posture was more like this. But I think what happens as we come together week after week, one of the blessings is that God helps us to recenter. And so I think one of the great questions just to kind of begin this morning by asking yourself is, what is my posture in my life right now? If Jesus is the center, and that's the center, is my whole life right now turned toward Jesus? I remember a few years ago when I was pastoring a church in Cincinnati, there was a guy who came to the altar one Sunday morning. Didn't really know him. But, but somebody came and got me, and this was at the end of the service, and said, would you mind coming over and praying for this guy? He He's got some physical stuff going on in his life, and he wants to be prayed for for healing. And I said, sure. And so I go over, and I, and I go to the altar, and he's kneeling here. And, and by the time that I could really get down on my knees, you know, with this guy, he kind of tears up, his throat begins to tighten, his lip begins to quiver a bit, tears form in his eyes, and he says, Man, I'm not right with God. I got some sin in my life too. And so I think, I think here's what happened. I think, I think he came forward to pray that, that God would help him with this need that he had, this physical problem, right? But, but somehow in the midst of this, beyond meeting his physical need, the guy becomes convinced I think Jesus could also help me with this bigger problem, and that's the sin that's in my life. We we keep talking about how that that God does beyond what you ask, okay? Uh, So I come to Jesus sometimes with this need, and and Jesus says, I I see that, but there's this other stuff that I want to do in your life too. And so I'm kind of trying to process in that moment what's happening here. And so I, I said to the man, I said, 
Do you want to be right with God? Do you want to be forgiven of your sin? And he said, I do. And he begins to become more emotional. And I said, then I, I think we should pray for both. I, I think we should pray for your sins to be forgiven. And I think we should also pray for your healing. And so we did. Every time we open the New Testament, we learn more and more about Jesus. And the more I learn about Jesus, the more I'm impressed with Jesus and the more I fall in love with Jesus. And, and what we're going to learn this morning as we study together is that, is that Jesus is concerned about every aspect of your life. I, I hope you hear me say that. I hope they aren't just words, but Jesus is concerned about every aspect of your life. So you, you say, Rick, when you say that, what, what do you mean? I mean like... If you've got like a physical problem this morning and you've come to church and you're hurting or you're sick, Jesus is concerned about that. But also if you've got sin in your life, if you've got a a spiritual problem, Jesus is concerned about that. Or if you have a relational problem, like there's a, a tough relationship in your life right now, or if somebody you love is going through a hard time, well, I think Jesus is concerned about that too. Or if you've got a financial problem, I think Jesus is concerned about that too. Here's what I love. Not only is Jesus concerned about every aspect of your life, but He has God-given authority to act on your behalf. Okay? So it doesn't simply mean that if you come into church with a problem, it doesn't mean, well, too bad, you've got problems. Nothing you can do about those. Oh, no, no. It means that Jesus really cares. He's concerned. Not only is He concerned, but He has been given God-given authority to act on your behalf. I mean, I think this is really good stuff. So if you will, grab a Bible and let me show you where I'm finding this stuff, okay? It's in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to start reading with verse 1, okay? Matthew 9 verse 1. So Matthew is trying so hard... To say to the nation of Israel, Jesus is your Messiah. And He has come to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. And God has given Him the authority to do so. And so that's why every time you witness one of these miracles in the Scripture, it is a sign that the kingdom of heaven is coming, that the world is going to change. And that Jesus has authority to bring about those changes, okay? So here's what happens. Here we go. Verse 1, chapter 9 of Matthew. Jesus stepped into a boat. And he crossed over and came to, okay, look at those three words, okay, his own town. So we're going to do a little exercise together. I'm going to say one, two, three. And after I say three, I'm going to put my hand on my ear. And I want you to say the name of Jesus' own town, okay? You ready? Pretty clear. One, two, three. Put my hand on my ear. You say the name of Jesus' own town. Here we go. One, two, three. Okay. We definitely had more than one word in there, okay? So just, just out of curiosity, raise your hand really high if you said Nazareth, okay? Got lots of hands in the room on Nazareth. Uh, raise your hand really high if you said Capernaum. Got not as many Capernaums in the room. Raise your hand if you didn't say anything. Lots of those in the room. Who's right? Is it Nazareth or Capernaum? I think both are right because Jesus is raised in Nazareth. But do you understand that when he starts his ministry, that he actually moves to another town? He moves from Nazareth to Capernaum. So if at some point in your life 
you have moved or you are praying about moving from one town to another, it's okay. It's biblical. Jesus did it when he was on this earth. It's okay if you do it while you're on this earth. Okay? So Jesus came to his own town. Mark actually tells the story, names the town, it's Capernaum. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And so when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. See, Maud? I mean, if you brought somebody to Jesus who needed healing, wouldn't you rather he kind of do a zap thing? Instead of say, take heart, your sins are forgiven. It created quite a stir. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. So to blaspheme would be to offend God, okay? And their idea was that only God can forgive sin. And if you're going to say that, then you're blaspheming. You shouldn't be saying that. And so knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Wouldn't it be frustrating to hang out with Jesus? And every time you had this bad thought in your head, he goes, nah, that's not what you're thinking, you know. I mean, like, oh, he caught me again. You know, how do you ever avoid that? So Jesus says, which is easier to say? And, and maybe the real question here is, which is easier to actually prove, okay? Which is easier to prove? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But I want you to know, Jesus says to the teachers of the law and everybody else there, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so here's what he says to the paralyzed man. Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up. Now you can't just drive by that one. Because think with me. Do you know anybody who's paralyzed? What if they got up? Would you absolutely lose it? Oh, it'd be awesome. So the man got up and he went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. They went nuts like you and I would go nuts. And they praised God who had given such authority to, look at those words, man. And what they didn't understand yet was that he was not just a man, but he was a God-man. He was fully human, but fully God. He was the Son of Man, Son of God. And that's what they're going to learn as you move forward. So let's dive in, okay? We have been in a, uh, a journey here for the last several months. Timmy talked about it a while ago. We're, we're wanting to renew this room. And, uh, and I love what God is doing in all of us through this whole process. And so I've been hearing awesome stories because I believe from the beginning... God made me a promise, Rick, I'm not going to just renew the room. I'm going to renew the church, meaning the people, you know. And so people are talking to me about their own personal journey in this process and what God is asking of them. So here's a phone call I got Friday afternoon. Hey, Pastor Rick, um, I just wanted to tell you what God's doing in my heart. And I said, okay, I'd love to hear it. And he says, I've been praying about what my wife and I could give to the renewal of this room. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm so glad you're praying. You know, Annette and I are praying about it too. And he said, well, I went to my wife and I said to my wife, I think we should give this much money. Told her the amount. And he told me how much. And she said, well, it's a lot of money. And he said, yeah, I know it is. And she said, do we have that much money? And he said, yeah. 
We do. We, we have that much money in the bank. We could give that much money. And he said, my wife thought for a minute and said, well, then that doesn't seem like that requires any faith if we already have that much money. And he said, I said to her, yeah, I guess it doesn't. And so we talked for a while and then we prayed and then we talked and we decided that we were going to double that amount. Now, now I know what you're thinking. You're saying, is it like a, a significant amount of money? Listen, every gift is significant. It's not about how much somebody else can give. It, it, it's about me coming to this place in my life of saying, God, are you asking me to step out in faith? And, and I think you only do it if God is really challenging you to do that. Don't do this kind of thing on your own. That's crazy. But when God challenges me or when God challenges you to take a step of faith, I think it's just, do we obey? You know, Do we do what we feel like God's asking us to do? And so... There's something I learned in a meeting about this whole process not long ago that I absolutely just loved. And what I loved was that when this building was designed 50 years ago, okay, that's 50 years ago. Most of you in this room were not alive 50 years ago when they were designing this building. When they designed this building, they designed it with something very specific in mind. And I think you're going to love hearing this story, okay? Here's what they did. They said, if we're going to design this building, let's make one thing as easy as we can make it. And so I don't know if you noticed or not, but this floor is sloped a great deal. And it's also sloped this way. So it's not just like sloped from back to front. It's higher over there than it is right here. Okay? It all slopes to the altar. In other words, if you drop a ball anywhere in this room and the ball is unhindered, like, you know, bounces its way between the seats, it's going to end up at the altar. No joke. I was saying that to a family the other night that Nat and I were eating with. And, and the lady says to me, how well do I know when my kids were small, they would drop a ball or a toy and I would say, you can pick that up at the altar after church. That one's gone, you know. <laughs> so why did they do that? They had one simple idea in mind. We want to make it easy. We want everything to flow to the altar. We want to make it easy for people to come to Jesus. Do you know what the seating arrangement that you're in is called? The width between the two seats? It's called continental seating. Do you know how I know that? Because the architect told me that. It's wide enough that if you decide you want to go to the altar with the people sitting around you, that you could get up and you could walk out that aisle without them standing up or having to move or, or move their legs around. The desire was, we want to make it as easy as we can for people to come to Jesus. We want to make it as easy as we can for people to get to the altar. And so we live our lives, not just in this room. It's just not about coming to this room. We love coming to this room. We get recentered in this room, right? But we come to the room so we can leave and go into the world and meet people and help them come to Jesus. We gather to be sent. And the next week we gather again to be sent. And then the next week we gather again like this to be sent. And we go out and try to live our lives with open arms saying, let me help you come to Jesus. Let me make it easy for you to get to Jesus. And so that's what's happening in this story. 
Matthew doesn't give us the detail, but Mark and Luke does, and it's the same story. And they talk about how when they get to this house that Jesus is in, and they've got their paralyzed friend, and there's so many people in the house that they can't get to Jesus, they go up on the roof, and they begin to take off tiles, and they actually let the guy down through the roof in front of Jesus. And Jesus is amazed at their faith. Now, it's what he says that really gets interesting. He doesn't say immediately, get up and walk. He first says, son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. All right. You remember the guy that was at the altar at my church back in Cincinnati? Who says to me, I'm not right with God either. Not only do I need physical healing, but I got sin in my life. You remember that guy? What if I would have just looked at him in that moment, reached out my hand, laid my palm on his forehead, all right? Because I've seen him do it on TV, all right? Jostled him a little when I said, Your sins are forgiven. You like that? All right, just hand on the forehead, a little jostle. Your sins are forgiven. Everybody good? Okay, you're good to go, bud. Anybody struggling? Alex, you look like you're struggling. You say, well, Rick, yeah, I'm kind of struggling. I, I don't know how I feel about you forgiving the guy's sin. I mean, I like you, and you're our pastor, and you, you know there's these verses where Jesus, like, says, as the Father sent me, no, I'm sending you, and He talks about sins being forgiven, and, and He gives His disciples authority, right? But, but even in that, there's this very clear understanding that God has the power to forgive sins, not Rick, right? And that's where the Jewish people are living when Jesus makes this statement. The struggle is that Jesus, God has the power to forgive sins, not you. Now let's talk about sin for a minute in their day. How do sins get forgiven in their day? Well, in, in their day, here's how sins get forgiven. It happens in the temple system. It's done by sacrifices, and those are administered by the priest. And, and I don't know if you know this whole story well. Maybe if you're new to reading the Old Testament, you want to get some more time in that. But, I mean, they actually had the priests go in, put on the aprons, bring the animals in, slaughter the animals, make the sacrifice, and we're going to get your sins taken care of right here today, okay? We're going to get it taken care of. That's, that's how it worked. And so it was so foreign. I, th I think we've got to talk about sin. And, and I thought the only way we could do it well is to give you a definition. So let's do that. Um, this is a good Wesleyan um, definition of sin, okay? Uh, a willful transgression. You with me? Against the known will of God. All right. So to break that down in everyday life, you're in a tough moment right here, Okay. Somebody's asked you a question, you don't want to tell the truth. Because you're going to look bad if you tell the truth. You want to lie. Because you want to avoid the pressure of the moment. You know that it's not the will of God for you to lie. Right? However, 
in your heart, you've decided, I'm going to transgress against what I know God wants me to do. That would be sin. Or if you see something and you really want it and you don't either have the money to buy it or you don't want to spend the money to buy it and there's one there and nobody's going to notice if I just put it in my pocket and walk away. Stealing. I know God doesn't want me to steal. I want to steal so I make a choice that I'm going to steal anyway. That would be sin. Okay. So what's this idea that Jesus says he's going to forgive a sin? How how, how does all of that work? Here's what it means. As far as your relationship with God is concerned, it's as if it never happened. That's what it means to have a sin forgiven. Now, now in your relationships with the people you might have sinned against, or maybe you might have to suffer the consequences of sin, that may take some time. But as far as you and God are concerned, it's as if it had never happened. Completely gone. Forgotten forever. Sin forgiven. Scot-free. God says, I'm choosing not to even remember it anymore. It's as if it didn't even happen. So, we find ourselves in this passage. Jesus says to this man, your sin is forgiven. Now, I'll just level with you. It makes me a little sad in my heart for these teachers of the law because I want everybody to believe. I want everybody to know Jesus, right? But, but in their minds, if God doesn't look the way that I think God should look, then there's no way He could be God. And the truth of the matter is, in their claim to follow God's law, they misunderstood the intent of the law. And God kept sending prophets saying, you're missing it, you're missing it, you're missing it. And they kept saying, no, we're not, no, we're not, no, we're not. And, and help was standing right in front of them, and they couldn't see it. So, so you, I'm going to ask you this, okay? If, if we know why they couldn't see the help standing in front of them, why do you think sometimes you and I can't see the help standing in front of us? You know, when you, when you say things like, I'm worried sick. I mean, should anybody who follows Jesus ever be worried sick? I mean, what is it that keeps us from seeing? I'm in God's hands. Jesus is concerned about every aspect of my life. And He has God-given authority to act on my behalf. Why should I ever worry? I mean, if, if help is really in front of us, what are those things that keep us from seeing it? Do you know what I'm asking? All right. So maybe if I could get a volunteer, Ricky Don Rains, come up here and join me. My name is Ricky Wayne Harvey, and his name is Ricky Don Rains. Is that not awesome? I just love that. I know I didn't ask you to help me out, but I know you don't mind if you'll stand right there, okay? Let's say Ricky Don Rains has a, use your, use your Christian name here, okay? Has a, <laughs> has a spirit of worry about him, okay? So that's, that's what he's living with. I know he's living with it. You know he's living with it. He worries too much, and so I'm just going to do this right here. You ready for me? Okay, palm on the forehead. I think that's the way you go about it. And I'm just going to say, spirit of worry, be gone. Okay? Is it gone? It could be. Could not be. How do you know? 
Can I prove it? I can tell you that I have, this, I have the power to rid him of worry, okay? But if I tell you that I have the power to do it, and I say, worry be gone, how do you really know if I did it or not, right? Okay, let's say that he has this arm. My dad, his right arm, he could not move past here. Just go with me on this. Resist it, will you? I, I know yours can. So let it go. Okay, so he can't move it from right here, okay? And, and everybody knows him. Everybody knows that Rick has this arm situation. When he walks around, his arm hangs like this. It never hangs down. He's got something wrong with his arm. And, and I tell you that I have the power to heal his arm, okay? Like, oh, really? And, and I just say, be healed. Now, let it go for me, will you? And you just go, wow, he just healed the guy's arm. I've known Rick for years, and I know that he can't straighten his arm, and it just straightened. That's crazy good. Thank you, Rick. That's what Jesus means. Now, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or get up and walk? Well, it's obviously easier for me just to say your sins are forgiven. You don't know if they are or not, right? I could say I have power to do it. And you're like, he said he did it. I don't know if he did it. But if I say get up and walk and the guy actually gets up and walk, you're going to go, oh my goodness, he just got up and walked. And that's what the point is that Jesus is making. I'm going to say three things that's going to help you understand this passage like you've not understood it maybe before. And here's why. Because we don't think like they think. We don't live the life they lived. We're not in the religion and the culture they were in. So number one, okay, you and I, you and I, you and me, we don't believe, we don't believe that personal sickness is a direct result of personal sin. All right, we don't believe that. Okay, so I've got a friend. She's dealing with cancer. I would never say, wow, she must have sinned a lot to get saddled with cancer. We don't say stuff like that. If I met you in the foyer this morning and, and I said to you, how are you doing? And you say, oh, I got a little cold this morning. I'd be like, I mm, wonder what you've been up to. <laughs> Must have been sinning a little bit if you got a little bit of a cold. See, we don't believe that. All right? We don't believe that sickness is a result of personal sin. Now, we believe that all sickness comes from sin. Okay, sin enters the world, corruptness enters the world, death and all of its preliminaries like suffering and pain. But we don't believe that a person's sickness is a direct result of their, of their personal sin. All right? Number two statement. You ready for this? It's going to help you a ton. You're going to go, oh. In Jesus' day, Orthodox Judaism believed that all sickness was a result of personal sin. That's what they believed. Now the story takes on a whole new look, right? So everybody there sees a man who is paralyzed and they go, somebody sinned. Yep. Somebody, somebody stepped out big time. I mean, look, look at this. Yeah. This was a big sin, you know. I don't know if it's him or his parents. And they ask questions like that. Who sinned, him or his parents? If he was born this way, it must have been his parents. Big time sin. All right? Here's the logic. If sin is the source of your sickness, then the sin has to be dealt with before you can be healed. Right? 
Statement number three. So when Jesus heals the guy, the crowd went crazy. They were filled with awe. And it wasn't just a matter of saying, oh my goodness, he got up and walked. You know what else they were saying? Oh my goodness, he just forgave him of his sin. Now the story comes to light, right? All of a sudden, Jesus being able to heal the guy proved that he had the ability to forgive sin. And they're going, we knew that he had authority to like calm a storm. And we knew he had authority over, you know, other things and sicknesses and all kinds. But my goodness alive, now he has authority to forgive sin. It takes Jesus to this whole other level in their minds. So, you come to church this morning and you bring your stuff with you, your junk, your joy, your celebration, your heartaches, your struggles, your trials, your frustrations. And some of you are saying this morning, Rick, I need help in my life. And there's others of you who are saying, I've got sin in my life. And there's some people saying, I need help and I've got sin in my life. You just come to Jesus. That's all you do. Or if you've got a friend who needs help and has sin in their life, you just bring them to Jesus. Because listen to me closely. Beyond. Beyond Jesus healing the guy. He forgives him of his sins. Because here's what we see in Jesus. God doing far more. Abundantly beyond anything we ask. I just came asking for healing for my friend. And look what Jesus has done. He's made him right with God. So I'll, I'll end with this, okay? On Tuesday night, a few weeks ago, I went to a prayer meeting that I go to most Tuesday nights. And... Um, and I'm in this prayer meeting, and it's not a real structured thing. It's a bunch of people that sit in a room, and if you want to pray out loud, you do. And if you don't, you don't. And if you want to pray twice, you pray twice. If you want to pray six times, you pray six times, you know. And so I'm sitting there in a chair, and people are praying. Sometimes it's quiet. And, and God begins to... Uh, Ask something of me. And when I sensed the Lord was asking me, I was like, oh. I, I, I didn't want to do it. I mean, I'm, in my spirit, I'm going to level with you. I was resisting. That's, that's hard. What you're asking of me. And so I'm praying. And... And in reality, I'm probably wrestling, kind of pulling against and trying to give reasons why this is hard. And, you know, it, it was just a struggle. But, but thank God I was in this setting where I could just sit there and just work through it in a conversation with God. And, and it was a two-way. He was speaking. I was speaking. I felt like finally I came to this place that the Lord was just saying, Rick, I want you to do this. I want you to take this step. 
I remember finally just kind of saying, okay, I'll do it. In fact, it was something I could do that night. I will leave here and I'll do it. I'm, I'm saying that because I think there, there are times when it's, it's really good for us to like come to the altars and our friends come around us and they get their arms around us, you know, and, and uh, pray for us and, and uh, pray with us. And, and we might even talk to our friends here at the altar or something. I think there are other times when I just need a chair. Because God's speaking to me. And, and I just need to, to work it out with God, you know. And so I think maybe this morning might be one of those times that somebody in the room might say, I need a chair. I just need to sit here. And I just need to pray for a little bit. If, if you may be like, I'm not sure why you're saying all this, then it's okay. Let it go by you. You can just sing in a minute. I think if the Holy Spirit doesn't have your attention right now, He may not need your attention this morning. But I think there's many in the room who would say, no, He's got my attention, Rick. He's talking to me. And, and I just need to sit here in these next few minutes, and I just need to work it out. What I need to do is say yes, but that's not easy. And so it may take me some time to get to a yes. And so if you want to stand as we sing, stand. If you want to stay seated, stay seated. If you want to come to the altar, you know you're welcome. You don't mind that ever. I'm not saying you can't come. You can always come. I, I, I think what I want you to do more than anything else, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is talking to you, is, is take advantage of these moments. And work it out now. So let's spend this time together in His presence. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.